Welcome to Authorized, a podcast where we usually incandescently discuss the novelization of any film fortunate enough to have one. Sometimes, however, we delve into tertiary tomes, books that are not novelizations but similarly owe their existence to a film. Tertiary tomes are beaming, brimming reinventions of a series that finally achingly embrace the possibilities of their conceit. Whereas previous installments used the possessed mask idea to basically recreate Friday the 13th movies, tertiary tomes introduce a new setting and capitalize on every specific of that milieu. Oh my god. Hannah disagrees a lot. <laughs> I'm going to kill you for that. I'm not, she's not the only one. Just as You're the first... So fucking stupid. Just as, the, just as the first The Purge film narrow-mindedly <laughs> focused on a single house while its sequels established an entire world, so do tomes start small, but then use every building block they are provided. Carney pedophile Mitch Devers is our Frank Grillo, is what I'm basically saying. Praise be to him. Your opinion is so bad. <laughs> I've had a rough couple weeks. We are your hosts, <laughs> a loose coalition of novelization enthusiasts. My name is Andrew Overby. I'm Hannah Blackman. And I'm Andrew Marco. Friday the 13th, colon, The Carnival, is a 1994 book written by Eric Morse. It follows a group of students who seek thrills at a carnival passing through the nearby town of Crystal Lake. Little do they know that the very soil, water, and air of Crystal Lake is pulsing with the vengeance of Jason Voorhees, although they kind of know it because they talk about it as a piece of the myth Mm -hmm. emanating out from his hockey mask, which is buried on the grounds, as we learned in the previous book. When an already sinister carnival employee happens upon the mask, he is transformed into a ruthless killer with all of his pre-existing knowledge of the carnival mechanics to use as weaponry. As teens and families alike come to the festivities, will they find thrills and chills they're seeking or get an unwanted buy one, get one of bad thrills and chills, dying, (laughs) etc.? That's pretty good, Andrew. Thank you. Friday the 13th, The Carnival was published in 1994 by Berkeley Books. Uh, Before we introduce our guests, I will say that that is one of my favorite things about this movie series and these books is how characters are like, yeah, it's haunted. It's pretty cool. And then like they have to face the reality of it. And they're like, it's not cool. (laughs) Turns out getting chased by a murderer is not fun. Who knew? Our guest today, one host of the podcast Exit Interview. John Goodman. You've you've heard him here before. You're going to see him again. We've recorded episodes with him that haven't even come out yet. Get used to him, is my point. We love him. The Sixth Sense one? No, the, um, the, oh, I can't say. It'd be such a spoiler. We could just bleep it. The one that was like three and a half hours that you were on like half (laughs) of. (laughs) Oh, right. Yeah. Another tertiary tome. Little teaser for the, for you there, listeners. I'm going, oh, I'm breaking the rules. (laughs) I don't think that that's a tertiary tome. That's what I want to fight you on, but oh, that's oh, okay. okay. He's a <laughs> no, yeah, He's you a came renegade. up with like a silly, um, not a. You came up with like another one of those little names. A varied volume. A varied volume. That's a varied volume. Your terms are so cute. All right, I'm slowly winning Hannah back. John, <laughs> how are you doing today? How was the the much anticipated exit interview live show in New York City? What's going oh, on? It was great. Yeah, yeah. We we had a great show at the the tank in New York. A lot of people came out. We'll definitely be, be doing another tank. one. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
Yeah, and uh, no, I'm doing great. I, I had a great time reading or listening to this audiobook, I should say. And uh, I'm sort of a, a a horror neophyte, I would say. Uh, so I actually hadn't seen Ooh. any of the Friday the 13th movies, but I watched uh, Friday the 13th Part 4 to uh, prepare for this and loved it. Uh, such a fun, such a fun movie, uh, you know, good good stuff. Uh, and, and the book, uh, you know, delivers those, those same vibes. Sounds like John's on my side. <laughs> I mean, he's only. We've all read three of these books, Andrew. He's only yeah, read one. I think if this was the first one I'd listened to, maybe I would feel differently. But because it's the third one, suddenly it was unbearable. Wow, yeah. John. We've also established in earlier episodes that Andrew has one of the most warped rankings hmm. of the Friday Thirteenth series imaginable. Yeah, yeah. So for him to say like it's so good that this book breaks the formula, I was like, no, it's not good. It's not good at all. <laughs> Anyway, I didn't enjoy this one. And not only did I not enjoy it, I actually didn't finish it. So if it turns around in the last 50 pages or whatever, you know what? it actually turns it. around in the last like 10 pages. Oh, man. Yeah, Although, I was a little would shocked. You, would you agree that there is one passage in the middle of this book that is incredible? Do you guys know what I'm referring to? I transcribed this entire passage. I wasn't intending to read it up top, but I'll drop <laughs> it at some point. I transcribed this entire book yeah. <laughs> because I loved it so much. And now selling it for ninety dollars a pop. Yeah. Um, okay, Hannah, let's yes. get started with your grievances. What's wrong with this book? Um, I think that coming off of the highlight of the previous book, where like the killer was very interesting, there was a lot of interesting back and forth between like the perspective of the teens who I liked and was interested in, and the perspective of the killer who I was also interested in because I thought that was like a, a different touch that I liked. This book, I did not like the teens at all. I was not invested in the killer at all. He barely shows up. The first murder is like in a four-hour audiobook, like an hour and a half in, which was just, like, way too long. Then it takes forever for additional murders to happen. (laughs) Never are the teens like, oh, God, we're being chased through a carnival. I mean, I never got to that point anyway, because, again, I didn't finish (laughs) listening to it. I simply couldn't. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I just found it, like, really, really boring, and all of the characters were so unlikable. But I was like, am I supposed to be Mm -hmm. rooting for Maxie, who blows, and her, like awful attitude and her weird like relationship to men like i'm not and her friends are also shitty and these dudes are also shitty and they don't get murdered fast enough and then when they do i was like okay not even an exciting kill like the whole thing just like was a drag for me oh well can i ask you hannah given yeah. that you didn't finish the book i did not what do you think <laughs> happened to maxi does she Do you get think she mur- survived? I mean, it feels like she's the final girl, even though she hasn't earned it, because she's the main character. So I don't know. Yes, I guess she survives, but at what cost? <laughs> I don't know. Would Would you be shocked to know she is, in fact, not the survivor of this book? Oh, okay. I was. I mean, a little. That given that most of the book is about her. I was shocked in the previous book when our final girl didn't make it. So... But it to, feels to like in that one, she at least again. In the second book, she does sort of succeed. Yeah. In what she sets out to do and then dies in what feels like a ending. Like, it, it does feel <laughs> like, okay, you know, she's holding hands with her boyfriend. She's buried the mask of Jason. All is at peace for now. Yeah. That's not what happens here. 
Will you just tell me what happens at the end? Like, I'm sorry I didn't I kind finish of, it. Even though I did finish but... it, I also need the recap of what happened at the end. <laughs> so, uh, so how does everyone die at the end? What? Wait, let's do this first for the listener in case you're not aware. The basic plot of this is just that some teenagers go to a carnival. Some other teenagers try to go to a carnival. And the mechanic at the carnival gets possessed by the Jason Voorhees mask and is killing a bunch of people. And at some point takes off all his clothes to do it. I oh, I thought this book is perverse. I, think I missed that. <laughs> I just listened to it and I was like, well, "What?" <laughs> I uh, <clears throat> I think that the way they use the carnival is pretty cool, though. Like the fact that he at one point steers people he's pursuing into a fence he knows is dangerously electric. Like, things mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, that thing has a higher body count than he does. Yeah. <laughs> Both in terms of people he stares there, but they're also just like, oh, yeah, I guess we're trying to leave the park, which I guess has no normal exit that people right. can go to. Which they describe as, like, that's, like, a carny trick that they're playing. Right. is like, making the exit hard to find. Right. Also, is that how electric fences work, where they literally scald you to the point of being, like, a roasted human burger? No. Yeah, no way. <laughs> I think so. it, it would just like stop your heart <laughs> well it's not supposed to kill you at all i think it was part of the the sort of like over the top uh you know irresponsibleness of this carnival was was somehow the the fence had gotten way too much voltage um, and was roasting people <laughs> which uh was a very fun concept i did also i did really like the carnival of um, fun fun setting i thought and like uh, the carnival's a fun setting i'm not here to knock the carnival great, great. Everything that happens in the carnival was not exciting enough. Yeah, yeah. No, but you fine. asked, how do our... Because th- it's... Let's break down these characters just so we can break, then break down how they die. Sure. It's Maxine is our main character, more or less, in the story. And she has two friends, Wendy and... I'm forgetting the other Casey. Name. Casey. Definitely and then there's their... their as characters. Because are they college students? Um, they're students no, they're of yeah. some kind, and they're... they're they're, they're in summer their school. teacher. They have yeah, to be high schoolers for it man. to be transgressive. Because when I was in college, there was a guy in my class not not when in college with you, John. When I was at a different college, there was sure. a guy in my class that was that had relations with a teacher, and everyone thought it was really fucked up because he was in her class. And then they were just like, "It's allowed." It just turned out it was allowed. So I feel like you just yeah, have I think to. By college, everyone's a consenting adult, but like. Ew. Yeah, it's yeah. weird when like still, yeah. it's weird when like you know a power the, dynamic that's not cool. Yeah, it's like a the, you know, and the people are like thirty six and eighteen. It's like it's weird. They make yeah. it very clear that Graham, the teacher, is twenty six, but even so, he's a creep. Yeah, I agree. Oh, what a creep! <laughs> and he's British. Yeah. Yeah. He's like his not to add another strike gross. against he's him. Just like, but. Yeah, not a. And he's an unsavory. He but like there's a, there's another boy, is like, there not? Greg. Greg, who's very into... I've already forgotten our main character's name. Maxie. Maxie. It's, it's such a common name. I can't believe I forgot it. <laughs> uh, but Greg is very into Maxie. And really wants to go to the carnival with her. And then... those are the That's sort of the main five. There's some other characters who get introduced, but... They're the ones we follow the most. Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. there's the um the our, fortune teller's daughter. I would say is another right. The fortune teller's daughter, who spoilers, Hannah, is the final girl. 
I mean, she deserves it. She's barely in the amount of book that I listened to. Well, she's barely in the book. (laughs) But she is the survivor. The point wherein her mother is having, like, genuine psychic visions of horrors. So bad it puts her into a coma. I was like, boy, this is an interesting concept. I can't wait to see if this is in the rest of the book. It's not... It didn't seem like it. Maybe. And Selena, is that the daughter's yeah. name? Doesn't seem to have any genuine psychic ability. And so isn't able to be like, oh, no, a murderer's on the loose. I have to do something. She like, does, she's just um, there. She does use her, her tarot cards to predict that the four friends will all die. Like, in, in her mm. fortune telling, she later, I guess this is as they're escaping, she says to Maxie, she's like, Oh, I feel so bad that I, I, I like lied to you about your fortune. I gave you like the sugar coated version. I knew you were all gonna die. And Maxie's like, Oh really? Well <laughs> then, then how Ma- come I'm still alive? Yeah. And then uh, you know then And then she gets murdered? Yeah. yeah. Well, Maxie does not get murdered by Jason Voorhees. She gets mauled to death by the dog. What's wrong what? So the dog has just absorbed evil energy? We're three books in, Hannah. So, Things absorb evil energy in I this mean, town. The I know mask, this, but like the mask is the particular item of evil that turns people from the dog, malevolent into murderers. The dog was the first thing to interact with the mask, though. The mask Fair is point. really patient in this book. Because in other books, it's like, in, in, in the second one, Big Red goes fishing, he pulls the mask up, and it's like, the mask sucked his face in. It's just like, <laughs> really goes for him. Right. Uh, and then in this one, it's like the dog digs up the mask, which I was disappointed in because I was really hoping somebody at the carnival would have a gruesome death where they fall in the hole. Um, <laughs> a six foot deep hole with a bunch of sticks in it? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so the dog digs up the, the mask and then the dog does seem to be kind of possessed by the mask before Mitch is because there's that one part where Selena sees the dog and she's like, I don't like Mitch because we're not saying it out loud, but he's like into children uh, or into teenagers sexually. Um, I I don't know if anybody, what I mean is that she's just like, he gives me the creeps, but it's because he, he, he consciously, when we're in his head, he's like, Oh, what a good day. All I need is a very young girl to make it a great day. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, So she's like creeped out by Mitch and she sees the dog scraping at Mitch's door. And there's that, mention of the dog has red foam around its mouth which i thought suggested that for the moment the dog was sort of like acting under the direction of the mask and then later on the way he actually gets possessed is the dog is mask obsessed it's like his the one ring and he's like oh of course i need to throw the mask like a frisbee or something and then he decides what if i weld it in this and he has a great moment where he goes (laughs) I don't know if I can weld in this. I don't know if it's safe, but I'm the type of guy who will try anything twice. It's like where open <laughs> flames and eyeballs are concerned. <laughs> and then, then he, of course, gets possessed. And I like that scene a lot when he puts the mask on and all of his snake tattoos start wriggling. And it, fe- mm-hmm. he's, it yeah. says it feels yeah. like he was being eaten by them. Very cool. That was cool. The moments that are cool in this book are just so few and far between for me. Like they're there. There's cool stuff. But they didn't happen often enough for me to be invested in continuing to listen. And there is a lot of buildup in this book of things that ultimately don't have a lot of payoff. Like there's that family from Tanglewood in the Berkshires 
who are set up of like this kid really wanted to go to uh, the carnival. This dad go around is having like a, is having like an episode because his kid is so distressed <laughs> about not being able to find the merry-go-round, and the dad's just walking around in like a fury, being like, "They have to have a merry-go-round. It's a carnival." <laughs> <laughs> but th- their whole plotline, which like the 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 merry-go-round is ultimately going out of control. Is that operator error? error or is that some sort of crystal lake curse i think that was a i curse thought it was thing. some kind of carnival negligence so <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> that's, a that's whole the other least scary ride to go out of control i feel like the roller coaster is out of control that's scary the the merry-go-round yeah. is out of control not quite as scary it's creepy more than it is scary yeah. with the music i mean haven't we all seen the end of strangers on a train where the merry-go-round goes uh, insane yeah. and kills like three people i was thinking of the beginning of face-off where the kid gets snipered on the merry-go-round he gets See, shot fear through to john had. travolta <laughs> what a good movie anyway um, great movie so uh yeah the merry-go-round thing i th- in my opinion is just the carnival like getting haunted because there's many elements of supernatural things happening at the same time in this book mitch devers is doing murders but then also we were going to talk about what happens at the end and and i still need us to because i need clarity but the wax figures at the carnival come to life and are evil at the end. oh yeah yes so yeah there's the haunted house hannah Mm-hmm. That has figures of Jack the Ripper, Marie Antoinette, the Boston Strangler. Right. I don't know if anyone else was in there. And when the girls ultimately kill Mitch Devers by hitting him with an axe and then chopping him under a guillotine that was used in the Marie Antoinette display. When they leave, it's like, huh, it's weird. It seems like Jack the Ripper is like smiling and looking at me. And then as the carnival's burning down and exploding, they cut back inside of this haunted house and are like, oh, yes, all of the wax figures are trying to revive Mitch Mitch Devers like he's Mr. C in Twin Peaks The Return. I don't know if anyone else watched that. Um, It's very, like, weird. It's like a weird left turn at the very end of the book. And it's not, like, from his subjective perspective or anything. So I think it's really happening. Sorry, Marie. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I think it's cool, the the push towards the supernatural, that, like, whatever is happening in Crystal Lake infects people, mm-hmm. it's in the air, it makes them bad, that's why every townsperson is a piece of shit, and maybe it brings evil things to life, and it creates ghosts, and it does all that stuff. Like, I, I could get on board with that, to, to put it in the very end of the book. Like, I could have used it sprinkled throughout, um... Instead of having to listen to, like, just, like, 45 minutes of, like, why is this creepy guy trying to kiss me? I'm going to ride a ride. Like, <laughs> constantly. And I, at this point, I'm a little tired of the fake-outs. Of, like, someone of was outs. behind her in the cart. It was her friend. Like, I'm tired of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, the movie that I watched, at least, though, that was a big part of it. Like, there was, it was a lot of, like... And then a hand grabs you, and oh, it's just your your friend's hand. And then like this happens, you know, like the, a lot of it seems it seems like part of the part of the formula, I guess. Takes a lot to fill up eighty eight minutes, John. Yeah. <laughs> Hannah, if I'm reading this correctly, to... your um your issue with it is largely tied to the fact that it's the third book in the series, which is totally valid, because I feel that way about series all the time, where I'm like. 
I would like this maybe if it was the first, but we've been doing this for a while. I, I do push back against the idea that this book takes longer to get to the gore because the first two are so, I feel like had so many more fake outs. There were just fake outs like every two pages in the first book and nobody There's a lot died more until very late. Yeah. I think this two. is related to a thing that also happens as the franchise of movies goes along is by the time they realize like we're just here to kill teens the teens become less likable so that when they get murdered, you're like, yay, I love to watch them get murdered. <laughs> We're like, So in the first two books, I liked the teens. I was happy to spend time with them before they all got murdered. So I wasn't angry to be like, where's the murders? You know, I was perfectly, I liked those teens. This book, they've, they've reached the point where the teens are unlikable. So I'm ready for them to get murdered immediately. And yeah. they don't. Yeah. And it takes forever of spending time with unbearable teenagers. And the author clearly and also hates no... them, too. Like, it's, yeah, it's not yeah. fun to read those yeah. parts. And part two, as much as it is similar to part one in terms of just being teens coming to the camp and the relationships, there's at least a connection to part one, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. What was the first one called? J- Mother's Day? Mother's yeah. Day. There's a connection in Jason's Curse to Mother's Day that the lead girl is the sibling of someone so she has that motivation because i think you're right in the first one we do care about uh i'm already forgetting that character's name these character names are tough boone but like no the female character in the first one christy i want to say carly carly Carly. Carly. yeah (laughs) well carly in the first one and kelly they just have more interesting interiority whereas maxie's interiority feels so forced Mm -hmm. especially all the things with her father who ends up being at the carnival okay explain that part i need to understand how he died how did he die they ran into the electric fence no he was okay so the the scrambler the the what's it called the The scrambler is a ride john you're not wrong there yeah wasn't that isn't that where he dies there uh, he definitely gets killed by the electric fence because his car goes into the fence i'm doing air quotes because i was unclear whether it was the car of a roller coaster or mm. a car yeah i know he goes in the fence because she knows to like avoid that later because she's like that's where my dad died and beverly his bimbo girlfriend i like the workaround that this book is like okay we're not going to get to the killing for a while so instead of killing off all our main characters we're just going to introduce other characters for a single chapter and fucking slaughter them just to give you like a little mm. bloodshed in the middle i really enjoy but they it. do that with that family and they don't kill them yeah, yeah. the ferris they wheel just go goes, back to tangle merry-go-round goes super fast but not in a then way there's that those two hurts teens them. who want to sneak in and that's cool that's mm. a yeah. good scene and they're supposed to be at camp so it's like fun to be like oh there is a camp in the area it's just not camp crystal lake uh-huh. yeah Okay, I transcribed this whole thing, so I have to, to read death. it. Yes. Yeah. You, yes. I, I have access to this file. You transcribed like a full page and a half. Yes, it's but it's so, so good. And it, this took me a really long time, so I'm obviously <laughs> sunk costing this. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Hannah, I think he's embarrassed. I think he's hiding the fact that he actually transcribed the whole book. He's just hiding yeah. those pages. I'm really proud of you, Andrew. You've done a good job. Thank you. Thank you very much. So, okay, this is a chapter for the listener in which... These two characters we don't know who are like local camp people. They're like at camp, but not at Crystal Lake. Have decided to trek through the woods to get through the car- to the carnival at Crystal Lake. 
<clears throat> Nick peered into the pitch black woods. He didn't see anything. You're such a wuss man, he said, but he was listening too. Listen, Bernard insisted, and this time Nick had to admit he did hear footsteps. They seemed to be coming right this way. Then he heard something else. A faint hissing sound, like someone letting the air out of a tire. Bernard grabbed Nick's arm, gripping it hard. Let's run! Wait, Nick insisted, because he still couldn't see anything coming through the woods. Bernard grabbed him with both hands, shaking him. Nick! But still, Nick did not move. And then, Bernard grabbed him again. Only this was Bernard's third hand. Nick looked up. A tall man in a white mask was staring down at him, eyes leering through the mask's dark holes. The man had come up behind him from the other side of the tree. He had grabbed the skinny boy by the neck of his ratty white t-shirt. Now, he pulled Nick several inches off of the ground, scraping him upward against the tree's rough bark. It all happened in an instant. For one second, Nick saw the snake tattoos slithering on the man's hairy forearm. For one second, he had a spasm of guilt. It was about Bernard's wallet, which was resting comfortably in his back pocket. Then the man in the mask raised his other hand. This hand was holding a blowtorch. Nick tried to scream, but as he opened his mouth, the searing flame went past his lips, burning, burning, burning its way through the back of his throat. Bernard took a step back, hands hanging limply at his sides. His mouth hung open. He felt as if everything inside of him, flesh, bones, organs, feelings, had instantly drained out of or out onto the leafy ground beneath his feet. He felt as if he had become utterly weightless, light as a feather, and feathers couldn't move. They couldn't run. So he just watched stupidly as the large man with the tattoos worked away at his friend, the blowtorch hissing. The skinny boy's flesh was crackling and burning. Then the man let go. Nick crumpled, dropping straight down with a thud, as if he had dropped down from the tree above. The man on the mast turned and looked at Bernard. Suddenly, with a jolt, the stocky boy's limb came back to life, and he ran. I have more, but I'll, I'll do it later, because it's about Bernard's death. I just think that this is better writing than we've seen in the first two books. It's like, yeah. it's, it's a gruesome sure. death. It's compellingly written. Well, I think we're the what's lacking in the first two books is Friday the 13th style kills. Because getting a blowtorch to the mouth, it's very similar to something in part five where someone gets a flare in the mouth. But... Like, that's what this series has not had enough of, is it's been a lot of stabbings and shootings. I think this is the first one where the Jason stand-in does not shoot somebody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which the only feels so uncharacteristic. Them. Nobody's head has gotten smushed in three books. You're right. No one has done a Jason-style head squish. Come on. Um, that's weird that they shoot people. That's such an unslashery way to kill someone. A head squish? No, a, or shoot a, a gun. Yeah. And it's uncharacteristic of any of, maybe except for Chucky, of all the kind of slasher icons, I don't think anyone ever uses a gun. Look, it's right there uh, in the name. They're slasher. I was going to say, a gun, a gun doesn't leave a slash. I was going to say that. <laughs> yeah. Those are, I mean, in, in, oh, I'm going to go watch a holer. Yeah. In <laughs> Halloween 4, Michael Myers takes a shotgun and uses it as a stabbing device and stab someone <laughs> through a wall with it and hangs them up. Pretty cool. And that's what I want to see out of my guns cool. in a horror film. 
Yeah, I yeah. want to, if you end up with a gun, like, flip it over and bludgeon someone to death with it. I don't, yeah. don't want to watch a guy get shot. That's not fun I mean, even me. in the Scream movies, those are always the least compelling parts when Ghostface is holding a gun. Yeah. And you're like, I, where's your knife, Ghostface? Where's your knife? <laughs> I'm, an, I'm a red-blooded American. I say, give all heroes a gun. I want to see Darth Vader with a pistol, you know? <laughs> I want to see, who else do I want to see? Uh, I don't think Anakin ever shoots a gun in the Star Wars movies. When I say gun, by the way, I don't want no, these people holding blasters. I want to see, like, a Glock <laughs> in sci-fi movies. You know, Spider-Man jump, jumping down from the, the rooftops and <laughs> hold sticking you up. I don't know how he'd hold it. He's already using his, his hand to uh, use the webs, but maybe, maybe he could use his third hand for that. Uh, Bernard I mean, style. he's got eight, right? <laughs> that, thank you, Hannah. Thank you. <laughs> So let's let's run down the other deaths here. What haven't we hit? So I'll get I'll go to the Wikipedia for this book that has the deaths listed. Amazing. It's also how I remember all the character names. That's great. I tried to look for that, but I just found the on the Friday the Thirteenth wiki and didn't have that much about. But sorry, in general. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, well, I, I should have asked you this at some point, but in general, what is, what are your feelings on this book? How did you find it coming in cold, not having read the first two? Yeah, I had fun with it. I think I agree with a lot of what's been said that the um, the characters I I they're too are too unlikable for me. I think that they there's a lot of glimpses of like oh this could be a more like interesting likable character who you get behind, but then you can just tell that like the author is constantly being like oh they're so like entitled and shitty and I hate these teens and it's like that that to me makes. The, yeah, the big beginning part where no one's getting murdered, less interesting. But I did really like the carnival, this concept that they, they're ha- the carnival is having, having to constantly move to like outrun its bad reputation because like accidents happen all the time. Um, yeah. The carnival owner, I really liked. He's just like your classic like shitty capitalist villain uh, in a way that <laughs> I, I feel like you could do. This could be a great horror story without a murderer even. Um, like just the like... Yeah. Uh, negligent ride accident deaths and stuff. Um, I thought that was very <laughs> compelling. Um, and like, you know, like carny stuff like that, I think is fun. And that's a whole fun, just like milieu. Uh, so I like that. Um, yeah, pretty, pretty good. Pretty good. I, I would like to say that I, growing up, had a Goosebumps at the Carnival Choose Your Own Adventure book. Oh. Which was that won't be relevant compelling in any and way exciting. to this episode. <laughs> that, that will not come back. <laughs> right. Right, of course. We yeah, haven't done have that psychic already. Visions? <laughs> <laughs> um, but that was a book where like the carnival was exciting and scary. And maybe this book suffered for me because I so wanted it to be the Goosebumps Choose Your Own Adventure where ninety percent of the time I got eaten by a crocodile. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yummy. You know, or like fell into a pit or got turned into a ventriloquist dummy or something. Like Every ending was cool and exciting, and this book just did not live up to that. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, I've got the list of deaths here. The great thing about this Wikipedia is it does list if the death was an accident. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, and it also lists people who were like mentioned that they died previously to the book. So like someone's parents were mangled in a car crash. That's noted. Oh yeah. Greg. Greg. Orphan Greg. So yeah, we we mentioned Nick Harris's blowtorch death. Uh, Blowtorch death. I'm so sorry. Uh, there are, counting on this list, at least one, two, three, six people electrocuted by the fence. <laughs> yeah, Bernard gets electrocuted by the fence pretty bad. As do uh, Mr. Wagner and Beverly, as we mentioned. And uh, 
I'm seeing here that Cat Katie is decapitated with an axe. She's on one of the Funhouse rides, is she not? I think it's the That's Marie Antoinette girl. Uh, thing. They have the guillotine from Marie Antoinette. And it probably no, there's a girl no, that's who at the gets end on of the book with Selena. She's oh. sad. She gets on a ride. She comes out scream. There, and then the perspective goes away from her and there's a lot of screaming. And then when she emerges from the ride, her head is gone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That feels like something out of like an Eli Roth movie or something. <laughs> I like the part where Maxie and Greg are making out on the ride and Mitch is just sneaking up and he's has to like climb over cars to get to them. <laughs> There's a level of unreality here where, like, wouldn't you hear some guy clambering over the backs of seats to come murder you? Like, when Greg is on the roller coaster alone and Mitch almost gets him, I was like, wouldn't you? Wait, Hannah, wouldn't I have a, you be aware? I have a question about your scenario, though. Yeah. Am I getting smooched really good? <laughs> so good. I mean, the, the best, best smooch of your life. I guess. Then I might not hear it. <laughs> Andrew's a loud smoocher. Uh, <laughs> Wendy Demberg is repeatedly slashed with a hacksaw. I think I may have been in a fugue state during that part. I don't remember it. <laughs> Graham is stabbed with a switchblade. Greg is has his throat slashed with a switchblade. Mm-hmm. A lot of switchblades. I think the real, other than the blowtorch death, the only one that really... I think leans into the fun of this is uh, Vince Fantana, the owner of the carnival who gets his head bludgeoned with the mallet you use to hit the, whatever uh-huh, that thing the is called. Test your strength. Like the test Ring your the bell thing. Kind of yeah. thing. I love fun. that. Okay. Mitch carnival Devers sneaks up on that guy, the owner of the carnival. And there's a passage where it's like, what's the guy's name? The owner. Vince Fantana. Where it's like Vince heard a bell ring loud and clear. Uh It was a frightening noise because the bell was atop the strongman game. In order to hit the bell, you had to use a mallet to hit the whatever that shot the (laughs) thing up and the bell would ring. But it was so difficult to do that the most you would ever hear was the faintest of rings. So the bell ringing loud, loud and clear was frightening. And it's like... That's actually kind of a cool concept, but I really like I that don't, concept. I don't love that Mitch Devers not. is walking up to do a kill, and he's like, uh, <laughs> "Let me ring the fucking bell to scare him." It's also like such a long, as you've just described it, because again, I didn't get there. The like that's such a long journey for a guy getting his head smashed by a ballot. <laughs> yes. like, right, it'd be that one is thing to so say. much work to set up the cool idea of like, oh, I've never heard the bell that loud. That's scary. Like, yeah. but like, good God, that's like a paragraph. That's too long. Right. It'd be something to say, oh, that game is rigged. You actually can't win. Yeah. So for someone to actually make it win is a thing. But it would also just be funny if he's like getting cornered by our Jason stand-in. He falls down on the bell. Mitch slash Jason. Oh my God, my slur today mitch slash jason slams the thing down and it makes the sound having that alone without any sort of setup would also be cool and very fun for a movie like this or a book i mean anytime you have a guy approaching someone about to be murdered and he's like i'm smashing things i'm scary that's good that'd be fine so if he's just like showing off how strong he is so that you know oh my head's gonna get smushed (laughs) by a mallet I'd take it. I mean, knowing Mitch Devers, the creep that he is, 
He might be trying to impress some people at this yeah. carnival, you know. I like that Mitch has a has sense of humor. I like that about him. In what way does he have a sense of humor? Do you mean? Well, like you, before he comes evil, I guess this isn't maybe not. Maybe not. Well, oh, you think he's funny? He, he like, <laughs> well, like a clown. Funny uh, hat. Like he um, clown funny. He'll, like sneak like into the haunted house and like scare teens. Um, oh yeah, like, the haunted house isn't scary enough. So like, I like to like go make it scarier, and he like does like. Fucked up like silly stuff like that um, And then that sort of like gets ratcheted up To murder by the, the masks Evil I thought that was that was a fun uh, That he wasn't just like a Faceless t- Killer it felt like he had some personality Which is what the first of these books John Is the first book is basically like Hunter guy mm-hmm. he kills He's hunter guy the second one Goes so far in the opposite direction Where it's essentially like A guy who in some ways is warranted in everything he does in the book. He's a very wronged individual who has not (laughs) sought revenge for anything that's happened to him. Mm -hmm. But then he gets the mask on and he's like, but what if I did? Right. right. The mask is basically like, but what if you did? Because the mask is like almost in conversation with the killer in the second one in a way that's really cool and fun. Hmm, and I didn't. That's not present in the third one. But what this guy is just like good an excuse to murder. Like I, what is present in the third one is that, like, uh, the, it's a different use of the mask possession idea. The first one, I think, does the worst job with the mask. It's just like, nice man is walking around, the, get the mask is on him, now he bad man. And it's like, okay, well, I that's... don't know if he's nice. He's, like, shooting animals in the off-season when he's not supposed to be hunting. Yeah, he's not a great guy. I think it's pretty cool. So and then <laughs> in the second book, he gets... Uh, the mask on and the big red and he's like I have motivations to act on like the mask interlocks with who he is and and his past and in this book it's not as like poignant thematically but I do think it's cool that in this book he uses his knowledge of the park and of the rides to be an effective killer I guess I felt in this one that the mask doesn't change him it just like makes him do murders like there isn't this sense that he's being like infected he's just like cool now i'm gonna kill and i'm totally cognizant and totally aware of my actions and thrilled to be doing it which i was not the impression that i got from the mask possessions in the previous books which were much more like now i'm in a weird fugue state where i'm taken over by jason and maybe we have some sort of interaction but Mm -hmm. mostly it's jason this was just like, this guy is, it's almost like an excuse. He put on, puts on a mask, has a weird experience, and is like, His can't wait to kill some teens. Life. <laughs> yeah. And then at some point what he rips off his of shirt. There's some weird the stuff in this thing. Is it, is it the ghost of Jason? What's what's going on? Well, here? maybe I'll, I'll, I'll try to set this up. Because you've only seen one Friday the 13th movie. Yes. And we really gave you the best one. Both in terms of quality, but just in terms of the formula of these movies. That makes it's sense. the best execution of those things. And it's got Crispin Glover. So yeah, you can't he's that. so good. Um, uh, Stabbing uh, the hand with a corkscrew. What a patootie. Also, so teens that you're like, oh, I'm enjoying just watching these teens live their teen lives. Yeah. That, that was a great part of it. Yeah. To try to get through this quickly, just mm-hmm. to set it up. It's a series in which the killer in the first movie is Jason's mom. Right. And then Jason, when she gets killed at the end of that movie, is the killer in parts two through four. He dies at the end of four, as you saw. Why is part five is a copycat. Why is he an adult if he <laughs> drowned in the lake as a kid? What's that about? We'll never know. Okay, cool, cool. You're asking too many questions. <laughs> um, 
part did he five not is drown a- and grow up in the woods? Is he a weird cursed zombie man? Who knows? Yeah. One, one could even say that a fan fiction in which the Jason Stanton was a child would be like really poignant and and good. Hey, who knows what's going to happen in Road Trip? Uh, <laughs> so part five is a copycat. Part six, they bring Jason back as a zombie, and he remains in that state through part nine. Uh, which is titled Jason Goes to Hell the Final Friday. Well, at the end of part eight, he gets awash with New York City wastewater and turns back into a little boy. Is this when he takes right. Manhattan? Then we start nine and he's a grown man again. So I just want to make sure that we all know that he does become a frog boy once again. <laughs> right. I, I Those, just want... Sorry, I was just going to say even shorter explanation than Marco's is uh, dude got dragged to hell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's what yes. happened. <laughs> well, I need I need to set up a little that in part nine, they really break with the formula and Jason is murdered in the first five minutes of the movie. A coroner eats his still beating heart and then Jason's soul goes into him. So part nine is the film that introduces that there is some sort of soul swapping association with Jason Voorhees. Right. But in that, it's like a literal worm that goes person to person. It's not the mask. Um, they abandon it after that movie but it's very much sort of inspiring this series of books in which the mask of jason Voorhees, which as we've mentioned there have been like seven or eight masks in this movie he doesn't have the same mask every movie Mm -hmm. so it's not like his mask has survived in that way and is essential to his essence i don't think but basically he's been but dragged it's not set up in the he's, movies he's been dragged to hell or whatever he got swallowed by hell and now his mask sort of separate from him is this possessive force taking people over i had the thought reading yeah. this book where i was like freddy versus jason is that that's me really i want to make sure the microphone caught that um <laughs> give me freddy versus or i'm sorry give me jason versus jason's mask that's what i need I mean, one of the complicated things about Jason is that everything we hear about Jason pre him being a lumbering murderer is that he was a sweet boy who was mistreated. Mm-hmm. Right. And then he and drowned like, in a lake. And maybe had like a disability. Yeah. Or a deformity. It, it's unclear movie to movie. Yeah. And when we see him without his mask in part two, right? He's like fucked up, right? Like, so he's, like, like, like he, that soggy, he's got a like, whole situation, brown. and that's I mean, why he, he wears lived a mask. In Brooklyn. Right? He didn't look that different than a lot of people in Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> Yoink. I mean, look, Jason in part two is just like a nice boy who lives in the woods. He wears overalls. He likes to use an axe to cut stuff up. He's like a normal guy, uh-huh. you know? Yeah. Um, then he develop- Then he does put on the hockey mask and becomes more murdery. So maybe it is established in the movie. But it's mostly that he just wants to keep people he's like a frightened animal yeah and when people get too close to him or his territory he's like well i gotta go kill people because mm-hmm. my mom killed people and i love my mom and he's like ashamed of his face so he wears a mask right. and the mask happens to be a hockey mask every single time yeah which in a movie you know that's the iconic visual makes sense in a right. book maybe it doesn't matter as much yeah <clears throat> well john it doesn't show up until the third movie <laughs> the, the hockey mask what the hockey mask is starts in the third movie what? he wears a bag on his head in the second movie yeah. oh that's so, like iconic jason look takes a full four movies to become like developed wow. doesn't it feel like because yeah, like these days we could do a jason movie where he puts the bag back on and because everybody's all about like did you actually know they blah, did blah, that. Blah? like everyone's like trivia obsessed they they, they they did this people would freak out is it in the new one <laughs> 
It's in the remake. Oh, I haven't heard about it. The new one from 13 years ago. But yeah, they that movie because it's sort of a remake of a bunch of them. Mm-hmm. He oh. wears a bag for part of the movie, and then his bag gets ruined, and he happens to be near a hockey mask, and he's like, "This'll do." <laughs> wow. Yeah. The re- the remake reboot thing is like a pretty interesting like amalgam of a lot of movies in a way that's kind of fun, but nobody gets their head squished. So pass. Mm. Bring us back to the carnival, and sort of <laughs> no no I'm gonna weave it in. I'm very I'm a very good co-host of a podcast and i'm i'm very competent so you're a weaver um, like mitch deaver i I think that thematically it might be good that the main character in this book is like an incredibly damaged person i think that they give her an arc this is this being maxi that is kind of good which is like she is this character who is, is sees that her dad is cheating on her mom and is handling it terribly and is also just like perpetually sexualized like mm-hmm. men men uh, adult men like her teacher are trying to sort of get with her and then there's that one anecdote where she's like yeah my dad sent me to a therapist one time until he heard that my therapist asked me out and it's like okay she is like this, this is poor girl this yeah. poor girl exactly and and her arc is basically that in the face of all of these like sinister forces trying to act upon her she still ends up choosing the very genuine guy who just like is age appropriate Who and immediately loves her. gets killed. Well, sure. The but- second she's like, "Wow, I feel love." He gets murdered, and she doesn't even know it. But Hannah, <laughs> they she also dies, so they're together in heaven. <laughs> is there is there a canonical heaven or just a hell? <laughs> I I do think though that like that is an interesting idea. It's like if if we're if if we're saying that Jason is a character born out of sort of terrible circumstances why not tell a story about a character who's in terrible circumstances as opposed to what these books have been doing which is like you know teens who just have their whole lives ahead of them and are excited what about kelly boone kelly boone Boone. miss kelly boone (laughs) her life goes from okay to horrific at which point she undergoes like a jason adventure to like solve her trauma Come on, man. Sounds good. Don't give I, this I, book credit when Kelly well, I think Boone I would was right agree, there. <laughs> I think I would agree with Andrew more if I cared more about the supporting cast. Because I think, as we mentioned, Carly and Kelly in the previous two books are compelling leads. But there is a lot more fun going on, I feel, with their counterparts and the people their age. And like, there's more interesting kind of love triangle dynamics there's more interesting comedy. I don't really care about these friends and, you know, having because I was listening to it, if I didn't hear the character name right away, I forgot who I was hearing speak half the time mm-hmm. because their characterizations just didn't feel that unique to me. And I think even sometimes to the reader of the audiobook, I would hear him start in one voice and then realize, "Oh no, this is a different character." Yeah. And yeah. have to switch. And I I feel for that. Like, that's a failing of the book itself, that these characters are not uniquely drawn. Like, Maxie's yeah. friends are, like, nothing. They, like, don't exist. Yeah, they're really under under <laughs> underdeveloped. Yeah. Can can we talk about the 
there was like a truth or dare scene, and I again, I think I was in some Favorite sort game. of Maxie loves truth or dare. Jason, I, right I had put my Jason mask on, and I was like being possessed. I had no clue what was happening. There. <laughs> Why were they playing truth or dare? Why did it get so heated and angry? What's going on there? John, you want to take this? The truth. The truth was like. The, well, they played the. So, is this how the truth that normally works? That you are asked the question and then get to decide truth or dare? No, no. That's how. So that's how they play it. And the question is something like, "Why are you mad at your dad?" Right? It's like, right. An emotional question, and she's like, "I'm not answering that," which is kind of funny because like you could just bullshit an answer to that. Like you, you don't actually have to like introspect. <laughs> But um, he's he's too loud. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> um, and uh, then what's the dare though? I don't remember what the dare ends up being. Isn't it like get naked or something? Oh yeah. Or run around in your underwear. Something like that. Yeah, and she does, and then the other girl's like, "Oh, I'm jealous that she's so confident." Right? Something like that. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Truth or dare? I do actually have a complaint about this book. Let's hear it. My my. My complaint is similar to Mother's Day, where they just kept saying things about mothers, and it felt like, like what is actually being said here? Why is this about Mother's Day? What are we saying about the mother-son relationship? In this book, I was like, why have two characters who are adult men that are very into young girls? What's being yeah. done with that? Anything? Yeah, and it never feels like... I mean, I read through the point where Graham gets killed in the Tunnel of Love. It's not like he gets a comeuppance for being a creep. He just happens to be there and get murdered. This is not new territory for the franchise. In the very first film, Steve Christie, the owner of Camp Crystal Lake, is some 35-year-old-plus man leching after his young counselors. And in part seven, that therapist is a real creep on that teenage oh, yeah, girl. Weekend at Bernie's guy. Yeah. It, you know what would be the scariest thing is if is if Mitch like was about to kill Graham and then he spared him and he was like, "Hey, scum, recognize scum." <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of part seven, is it possible that the fortune teller is Tina, the psychic girl at the heart of Friday Thirteenth Part Seven, all grown up? No? I mean, I almost want to say no, but... <laughs> yes, John, the seventh movie is about a psychic girl. Fun. Yeah, it is she fun. She has psychic powers. How's Jason X, Jesus. That sounds fun. That sounds like a cool one. Is yeah, it they fun couldn't do Freddy vs. Jason, so they... Uh, it's, it's fine I when mean, he goes to space. space. It's kind of fun. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I think, Andrew, to your point about how, like, Maxie's trauma story is compelling... If she liked her friends and her friends were like, hey, you're having a hard time and you've confided in us, your friends who you like, that your dad's cheating and that's hard for you. Let's all just go have some fun. We'll go to the carnival, have a great time and like stop worrying about this stuff. And then the stuff comes back and like is part of the the story. I think I could get on board with Maxie's deal and like the the whole carnival thing. Mm-hmm. But the fact that from moment one, she's like, I don't wanna go to the carnival and I hate my friends and I hate this dumb boy and I'm not interested in doing anything fun and everybody sucks. I'm like, well then why are we here? Right. You know, like why? why? Um, and all of that's such a buzzkill. It's such a convoluted way of getting them to the carnival though, because they're yeah. supposed to be going to some party with characters we never see. There's a great line, Marco, where they're supposed to be going to a party the, the guy who's going to host the party's, like, grandfather has a stroke, 
and uh right. and, and <laughs> one of the main girls is like is like oh, i was so sad not about that old bag just about the fact that the party wasn't happening <laughs> Right. I mean, like, so just decide we want to go to a carnival and cut 30 pages of this <laughs> fucking yeah. book. But I think you could also just do it where they're on the way to the party and their car breaks down and they're right by the carnival. I mean, I like, so though, easy. that there's the, like, um, the hubris thing of, like, haunted carnival, like, haunt, haunted town, Crystal Lake. Sounds like fun. Let's go check that out. Oh, everyone gets murdered there. But they don't That's do that first. They then... They then try to go to the movies. <laughs> That's so, oh, yeah. It's just there too convoluted. Like, true, yeah. There's so many easy ways for this to be like fun. And now we're at the carnival, pow, 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 like done. And instead there's like 40 minutes of audiobook before they make it to the carnival, <laughs> yeah. you know? Um, we could also maybe spend more time with the fortune teller daughter and like have more stuff seeing the carnival pre murder spree because i liked all the early carnival setup stuff um so i don't know but that's i guess just a different direction i could have taken i love the bit of characterization that the fortune teller who the book suggests has a real gift and can for real see the future that she is like they're saying she's not popular because she's too honest about the fortunes at one point Mm -hmm. the the owner's like yeah if you gave people like sunnier fortunes i think you'd be doing better because if she people are just walking in and she's being like your marriage is bad (laughs) (laughs) and then her daughter does sugarcoat it and it gets people killed yeah 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 but like they wouldn't have believed her if she'd said like i think that would have been a good setup in a book like this too where it's like oh like we go to the fortune teller she says oh, you have the death card. This is not going to end well for you. And they're like, whatever. Because they're already kind of not trusting of her from the start. So if they had just said, ah, screw her. She doesn't know what she's talking about. And then it came true. That would play into, the, again, John saying, the hubris of putting the carnival mm-hmm. at Crystal Lake, the hubris of being like, we're going to live forever. <laughs> that would work better. Yeah. I also kept expecting Selena to like join their teenage friend group because she's like the only teenage carny. And then she just doesn't. No, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's, it sounds like at some point in the end, she does. She sort of and Maxie join up with sort them. of are briefly teamed up together, but then Maxie okay. dies. Just like to have an ally on the side of the teens. She's like, I also know the carnival, and maybe I can help us escape. Yeah, that would have been cool. Se- seemed like it would have been cool and fun. Doesn't happen. Yeah. She knows to swim downwards. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why that word is in my brain. It's like some sort of premonition. For I was just thinking that for the listener, it's going to seem like Hannah was like, I love those goosebumps, choose your own adventures. And then I'm desperately like, must impress Hannah, must write very, very quickly. <laughs> and then you're like, swim downwards? <laughs> this is not out of the realm of things I think you would do for this podcast. <laughs> That you'd be like multitasking, you'd have an energy drink in hand, be like, all right, I'm going to write some questions while I constantly talk as well. I don't know if it's clear enough to our listener that Andrew Overby always has an energy drink when we're recording. Yes, I go through about two during any given record, and I've just moved, so so the store near me doesn't even have the ones I like. I'm drinking Bang Blue Raspberry. Dark times. Tragic. So it's not an endorsement? No, it's definitely not an endorsement. Okay, so talk me through the end of this book. I know we started doing I mean, that about an hour ago. I mean, the wax figure thing is crazy, but beyond well, that, yeah, yeah, what else? <laughs> I, I, 
that was more or less it. They end up in a the haunted house with the wax figures. Mitch Stevers tries to use Marie Antoinette's guillotine on Selena. They're able to kill him. They escape, and she's like, I'm sorry for telling you the wrong fortune. You're actually all going to die. And she's like, yeah, but I'm not dead, so ha ha ha. And then the dog mauls her to death mm. and, like, chews off her arm, Ooh. which I did not know dogs were this strong. And so to knowing that, okay, the dog could kill me too, Selena takes the arm throws it towards the electric fence at which point the dog runs at the electric fence and dies at this point the mask is almost like the way we've been discussing it it's just like jim carrey in the mask where like the dog could also put on the mask and have like i'm a... waiting for that in one of these <laughs> you know like fumes or something coming up out of the doorway to hell that just sort of makes everyone nasty so uh, yeah, I, the mask is almost redundant with that. I feel like that's milder, but I was kind of assuming maybe that's why the dog is so vicious. I don't know. This yeah. could be a series like the series could have been the mask is buried as it was at the beginning, and it's making this whole town crazy. Mm. It's like that stuff in Stranger Things where like all the crops are dying because like the upside down is underground or something. Mm. Yeah. So then does Selena just like run off into the sunset? Like she does the mask like. Because the carnival like blows up, the, car- the carnival <laughs> catches and- on fire. It's it like it totally burns down. This is a classic Stephen King esque ending. So props. Yeah. <laughs> and then the mask like flies away into a tree. <laughs> no, you got a new right? tree. So in our next book, someone will dig it out of a tree. Or maybe the tree will no, be no. the villain. <laughs> Marco, I, I I thought for sure that the mask was under the rubble. I thought it like flew away and then like got buried by a tree. Mm. Cool. But yeah, so anyway, there are wax figures who are alive. I'm sure they won't come back. It's just becoming a thing that the mask has this ability to imbue other things with life, and it feels temporary. So like, in the second book, it also gives life to Big Red's limbs. Remember, like his yeah, like, to Billy Boone, his prosthetic and ghost Boone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it makes the ghost of a man evil. Like it <sighs> seems like the mask has far-reaching powers than his first apparent, but mm-hmm. also I don't get the feeling that like those wax figures are now undying agents of the mask. Like I feel like where no. the mask goes, the powers go. I don't think this is going to be addressed in part four road trip i think that's gonna probably just be another entry but i'm really hoping the masks of jason Voorhees, the fifth book in this series that we'll be reading will get really into the lore because i'm so curious what this author's sort of take on it all is and what all these sort of strange supernatural things mean i would really appreciate just like two pages of like here's what the mask can and does not do (laughs) like yeah here's the rules now you know moving forward like because it's so unclear to me right now the fifth book is i think a crossover with the tv show as well which had a lot more supernatural things also the tv show is not about jason at all no it's about a haunted shop of antiquities and every episode would be dealing with a different haunted object and sometimes in the background you see jason's mask i assume (laughs) but i think the fact that his mask is the object in this series Mm. is going to be how you tie those together. Interesting. Maybe we should watch the show. I don't John, know. John, the um, 
the last book in this series is like four times the length of the other books. Oh, why? Why? And it was never actually released. And it was never. It's just an unpublished work online. (laughs) Wow. Oh, so probably because he didn't. He didn't have to have an editor, right? Yeah, I need the Carnival Director's Cut. I'm sure it's going to fix everything. <laughs> I mean, at this point, you know, book three, having to do the thing where, like, then the mask gets destroyed forever. Just kidding, it's back, which is classic slasher stuff. But, like, I mean, this book even felt like nobody was even interested in the mask. Like, nobody ever put together the mask is the problem, right. and so we need to get rid of the mask, which they do in the first two. Like, I don't know. It just felt like a lazier story in a lot of ways to me. Well, let me ask uh, Andrew and Hannah this question. Like, why? what went wrong here? Because in the first two episodes we did, we paid a lot of lip service. We were kind of entranced by this title, Friday the 13th, The Carnival. And we kept bringing it up, and we kept saying, like, oh, maybe when they get to the carnival, so there will be carnival-style killings, or there, it'll, you know, what a setting. Wow, a carnival for a slasher? I'm intrigued. And I liked the book, but in your opinion, what what didn't deliver here? What 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 fell flat? I mean, I think we've discussed it. You know, for me, the major failing is that the characters are so unlikable and uninteresting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, like, nothing can overcome the fact that I don't like these people, and I don't care what happens to them. So, like, everything else is just, like, drudgery. That's the major flaw for It me. should be said, before I forget, too, that the teen girls have an extremely annoying way of talking in addition to just being really unsympathetic characters. So, someone will, like, float an idea, like, oh, let's go to the carnival, and Maxie will say, oh, my God, that's the L word, and... Oh, one of the characters will go, what does she mean by that? And someone else will say, she means it's really lame. And it comes up so often. Oh, that's the C word, meaning the coolest or or what have you. Uh, it, it's intentionally incomprehensible and I think intentionally annoying. But when we already really don't like the characters, it's really fucking grating also i think the first two books i was like boons i love the boon family can't wait for more boons but this one has zero boons like there was a point when i was going to text you guys like okay i think i'm not going to end up finishing this book my timing has gotten messed up but does the ghost of billy boon come back and if so i'll make it happen <laughs> with kelly boon in tow i would have been compelled if at the end they were like also there's some weird ghosts running around we should have just told her that <laughs> And I said, oh, you said Billy Boone. I thought you meant Jack the Ripper. <laughs> I'm so sorry. You know, it's just I like, mean, um, it's, yeah. Yeah, I would say, I think, like, the first book, I thought the strength was in the characterization of the teenagers. And I thought the second book maintained that and also had a really compelling villain, villain, yeah, a really compelling villain narrative. Like, I could have read a whole book of Big Red. I thought it was amazing. I loved every time he felt bad about killing someone, he would go talk to someone and realize that they had also wronged him and he would now need to kill them. And I just found that lacking in this book. I didn't want to stay in the killer's POV, which is probably the the right place to be. You don't really want to like know too much about the killer in these movies. The best Jason movies are the ones where he is sort of a lumbering killer. But I think having it gone to that level in the second book. I wanted to see more of it. And I still want to see a book where the person who puts on the mask is inherently good. And just how that 
affects them. Because Big Red has a lot of anger and he has a lot of cause for which to do his killing. And I would have loved, like, what if Greg had been the killer? Like, what if Mitch was a, a red herring and it's Greg who puts on the mask? That would have been cool to me, I think. I'm glad that the mask didn't make Mitch into, like, a super pedophile. But <laughs> I do think it's kind of funny that it seems to have, like, he became a killer, which is bad. But it also seems to have chastened his intentions. I mean, if there's one thing that I really appreciate about Friday the 13th as a series is that, like, Jason, because he is a a small boy who is also an adult murderer, has, like, no sexual impulse whatsoever. Right. Like, the movies are horny. part three? There's, like, a couple moments that, like, verge on the line. But he never, like, like, gropes a lady, really. Um, and then, like, there's, like, I think deleted scenes from Seven where it's, like, her issue is that she got assaulted by Jason when she was a child or something. That's three. That's, That's three? three? Oh, okay. Well, then we're talking about the same thing. That's a weird thing that uh, I don't like. But for most of them, he's just a guy who murders. There's no sexual impulse there. The sexuality is all, like, teens and, like, they shouldn't be doing it and he doesn't like it very much. So, like, it does make sense to me that, like, upon putting on the Jason mask, the, like, I want to fuck a child impulse is, like, not there anymore. (laughs) Makes sense. Appreciate it. Glad that I didn't have to worry about that in a book that made me worry about a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. John Goodman. Yeah. You are... Can I ask one more just kind of stupid question about the, the, the basis of this franchise first? Is it Friday the 13th? Is that part of it? Is that is that the date on which these movies happen? I mean, no. Like, the first one, maybe. Then the second one takes place, like, the following summer, and, like, maybe. Uh-huh. Then the third one takes place, like, a week after the second one. So, okay. so it's Here's not the Friday thing. the 13th anymore. The unlucky things happen to these people, which is a thing that that The guy who with. made this movie, the guy who made the first Friday the 13th, was like, they've never made a movie called Friday 13th. That's a Cracker Jack title. I'm going to take out an article in Variety saying I'm making a movie called Friday 13th, and then I'm going to figure out what the movie is later. Cool. That is how this franchise came to be. It is Cracker Jack. It's a great title. He was right. And you know what? Probably for the best not to have every movie have to be like... Oh, okay. I'm I'm ready for the weekend tomorrow. Oh, tomorrow's the 14th. Oh, oh great. Like, I mean, often there is a lot of like, hey, we're going up to the lake for the weekend. Uh-huh. Like, there is quite a bit of that. So it could be fine. <laughs> <laughs> and Eric Morse really kneecapped himself. <clears throat> uh, Andrew Marco is in front of a Welcome to Camp Crystal Lake sign that just exists in his apartment. My grandfather made what? it. There, you do also sort of mm-hmm. kneecap the whole Friday the 13th thing when you name the first book Mother's Day. And then you panically <laughs> yeah, go, and when, if, when is Mother's Day on a Friday again? Oh, never? <laughs> <laughs> what, if the, what if the sequel was sa- Saturday the 14th? Saturday, there is Saturday a movie 14th. called Saturday the 14th, which is like a spoof. Oh, that's fun. I gotta call that person up. I mean, also, I think that Carnival takes place kind of on July 4th weekend. There's some mention yeah, of, there's like, fireworks summer, at the end. Right? Oh, yeah, because the fireworks. British guy's like, your Independence right. Day is my day of mourning. Right. Oh, Ugh, that guy That's when I was like, this guy is funny. I love him. <laughs> <laughs> what a joke. <laughs> he's British. Like, there was a moment when I was like, oh, he's a funny, weird British joke. Then there's a point where he's like, why am I following this girl still? Like, what is wrong with me? That's fucked up. I'm going to keep doing it. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> totally lost me completely. Uh, bad, bad guy. 
What was your favorite ride? I liked the audiobook narrators screaming the name of that one ride over and over again. What was it? House of Death or something? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I will say, if we just want to talk about the audiobook for a second. Yeah, yeah, let's. Um, He's doing a lot more like sound like so scape yes, stuff, yes. which is fun because right, he had always incorporated like the soundtrack from the movie and kick kick ma 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 at the end of chapters. But there's like merry go round music uh-huh. and all there's that like stuff. screaming it's sounds. It's kind of fun. I did feel like the voice that he continually did for Maxie at some point. I, there was a moment when I was like, I think he makes her sound so bitchy. Yeah, yeah and maybe she's not Maxie this voice. bitchy, but his reading of her is just like okay. In a way that I was like, man, I hate her. Yeah. In a way that I'm not sure I would have if, in the same way if I was just reading it on paper. Yeah, the audiobook sound effects were cool. Um, I it, I I really appreciate the work that this guy is doing, given that it's just like. You know, you know the, these books that aren't like available uh, for the for the listener. This book literally wasn't even on the Internet Archive. We all had to listen to the audiobook. And yeah. um, he also has done this for so many other things. I think it's great that he's sort of because horror is such an industry. Like, I'm glad that he's making stuff available and sort of like entertaining to fans. Yeah. yeah. And I do like him as a reader. I find him charming. <laughs> And if you listen to them on YouTube, at the end, he'll do a little, like, here's what I thought of the book. Mm-hmm. He loved like this one. <laughs> Which I think is cute. And he, he, really? loved, he loved this Again, one. And he, 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 it was very funny. He's like, uh, oh, yeah, I like this one. It really shook things up with the, with the premise. And then he goes like, I really thought Maxie redeeming herself meant she would live, but I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm just going to skim to his little cover at the end, his little like wrap up. Yeah, so no, I it's definitely definitely worth listening thoughts. to. I was just going to say such a such a nitpicky critique, but I was legitimately startled by some of the sound effects. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like, a good like thing. the the well, like the truck horn was just so much louder than I than like the rest of the book. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> John Goodman, you oh, are at the carnival at Camp Crystal Lake with your young boy. Uh-huh. <laughs> your young boy is going crazy. He's saying, Daddy, Daddy, find me a $90 book. <laughs> he won't stop talking about it. You can't find one anywhere. Everywhere you look, they're like $7, $8. He's like, Daddy, Daddy, find me a $90 book. <laughs> Finally, you hear faint music. It's the music being played by someone holding a copy of the carnival by eric morse would you pay 90 dollars to give your son this book to read um i mean and also, what, did you a, like what it? an amazing opportunity <laughs> since as far as i know it only exists as an audiobook so that's great I, I, great that there's real ones out there is it actually available for 90 dollars online they, well, yeah, you can get them all for like a hundred bucks. Yeah, um, these books are so out of print and so rare that like they are expensive if you really want to mm-hmm. get a copy. Um, yeah, I'd recommend this to to the niche um, like audience that would be into this kind of thing. I think um, if you like slashers and and uh, horror stuff, um, and you want to read a book about that, a book that is that, uh, then I think you you might have a good time with the carnival. Uh, like I was saying, I just I like the um, 
the setting of the carnival itself that is this just like really over the top um sleazy dangerous uh irresponsible carnival i thought uh was just that was fun I had fun with that uh I, I do also agree with the criticisms, though, that we've been talking about, about the characters and stuff. So, you know, not a not a 100%, but I'd say, yes, my 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 small boy, here. Here's this book. Enjoy. Wonderful. <laughs> I'm trying, sorry. I was trying to think of a scenario, but because I didn't finish the book, I feel like I might mischaracterize people. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew Marco, you yeah. are a a young orphan who likes a girl who's mean. Okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're pretty nice, but she's mean. But you this really want to... So far. <laughs> you really want to impress her. You want to have a good time with her. And she says to you, the only way I'll ever go out with you and have a fun time is if you can provide me with a $90 book. <laughs> and you want to impress her so bad that you hunt down a $90 book and that $90 book is Friday the 13th, Camp Crystal Lake, The Carnival. Would you give her that book? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I'm enjoying this series enough to say yes, because maybe I'll really like Road Trip, and it might be essential reading for Road Trip. Uh, yeah, it's. I mean, it's been my least favorite of the three so far, but I still find this kind of tertiary tome sidestep in the Friday the 13th int- universe interesting enough that i would recommend it despite what i feel are many flaws hannah blackman yes you are a british teacher no (laughs) never mind let's not do that thank you hannah blackman (laughs) i got a good one hannah blackman Mm -hmm. you are a youth psychiatrist who recently got the shit beat out of him by a dad who is cheating on his wife (laughs) <laughs> oh so you didn't make it better you made it worse. i just put the crime in the past i was gonna i was gonna put the crime in the future i figured it's better if you already got your ass whooped so you are recovering in the hospital you have several broken limbs and even more broken bones you money is no object to you so a 90 dollar book you know it's the same as nine Right, I'm a very rich doctor. You're a very rich doctor, and and uh, and you have you either haven't done things like this before or haven't been caught, so the money's been good. <laughs> so you have a few weeks to recover in the hospital. Would you read Friday the Thirteenth: Colon The Carnival by Eric Morse? Um, I mean, if I didn't know any better, the answer is yes. Like the concept, the premise, the location, all of that is very compelling. And I would pick the it title. up and I would read it. You know, the title is enough to be like, oh, at a carnival, <laughs> as we all felt prior to reading the book. <laughs> so like if I was, you know, in the hospital and a nurse came up to me and was like, I found this $90 book. You want to read this? I'd be like, yeah, I guess I'll read that. In hindsight, I mean, obviously, I did not enjoy the experience of this book. And I so much so I didn't even complete it. So I wouldn't recommend it to other people when there are other better Friday the 13th books to recommend. Mm-hmm. Like if someone was like, I want to read a Friday the 13th book out of this series, I would say read two, read Jason's Curse at this point. Maybe Road Trip is going to knock my flipping socks off. I hope so. <laughs> it's about a road trip. It's about a road <laughs> what trip. What could happen? Does Jason know how to is drive he a car? Is chasing behind them and like keeping checking I hope it's them? like The Hitcher. Mm. I hope it's The Hitcher, but with Jason. <laughs> 
We got a tear um, in our gas tank. Oh, why don't you plug it with this mask I found? <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then it's Christine and the car becomes evil. Yeah. That's fun, too. Uh, you good. know, the mask already has a lot of holes in it. I don't know. <laughs> so I would not recommend the carnival. Uh, I didn't like it. One of these has got to be about a hockey goalie, right? I mean, the disappointment that we haven't had Jason in the snow. So you can be like, hey, man, we're going to play hockey. And then he's like, yep, thwack. And he knocks people's heads off with a hockey stick. Yeah. It's disappointing. Skates? Yeah. That would be so fun. Oh, God. With a puck and it goes through your body? Yes. <laughs> or even give me like a football player being like, uh, wrong sport, bro. <laughs> I'll take that. I would. I mean, we have to resolve the legal issues of the Friday the Thirteenth franchise so that all of these amazing ideas can come to true life. You know, that's the dream. Mm. <laughs> My mm. worry is they're actually just going to become two franchises because of the way the rights are split. Oh, it's sort of like a James Bond thing where the title and like some of the situations are going to be owned by one guy, but then a whole bunch of other stuff like the hockey mask are going to be owned by a different guy. Huh. I mean. As we've discussed in the reboot, they're like back to no mask for like half the movie. And I would watch a few movies of like burlap sack, Jason. That's fine. I would also watch a movie that's not called Friday the 13th, but is called Jason's Curse. That's about a hockey mask killer. You know, like it's a win-win in my book. I wish someone would ask me a question. I was Maybe about John could to. Do it. Five timer. Yeah, John, or you're welcome. John, to. I think you are actually a five timer now. Yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> hey, would you look at that? Well, I don't. I don't mean to brag, but you know, hoping to get a sixth in there sometime. You're uh, either leading or tied with someone. So who who am I tied with? If, if so. it would be Max Fitzpatrick. Mm, sure, sure, makes sense. Yeah. Mm. Um, Almost auxiliary host. Oh, yeah. Given the that you have been on the show, perhaps more than some of our quote unquote. Hosts. Well, that's okay. that's hey. not true, but I show up but, occasionally. Oh no, isn't it? <laughs> no, okay, no, no. <laughs> if you try John hard enough, it more. could be great. Great, that's good to have a goal. Um, Andrew, over <laughs> here. Um, you are uh, you're you've been you've been dating someone for a little little bit now. You've been seeing someone. He's a married man. Mm-hmm. Um, and his, uh, his daughter, uh, hates you, uh, really just doesn't, hates everything about you. And to take your mind off of that, uh, you're, you're just distracting yourself with a nice date night at the carnival with your married lover. Um, mm-hmm. as you are, he wants uh, to, he wants to leave her by the way. He the just, what? he just hasn't done it yet. He wants yeah, to leave her. He just hasn't done it yet. He's going to though. He promises. Yeah. He really um, promises. And he loves me. And she's right, just sort right. of like a. There's a. It's hard to get out of a marriage, and I, and I understand. With you, it's going to work out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, yeah. As you you on the scrambler ride, notice coincidentally, there's uh, your the daughter is there. Uh, what are the odds of that? You're like, I got to make things right. I got to give her a book that's going to knock her socks off and make her like me. Uh, you don't know you're about to be murdered anyway, so it doesn't matter. Would you give her uh, Friday the Thirteenth? The carnival. I would give it to her because I love her, and because it would be a pure <laughs> expression of love. Yeah, it's, it's a good book. I, I I really like this book. I I I agree that the big red use of the mask is the best one yet, where the mask sort of merges with the person. But I like this idea. I think it's a creative setting, and I think they don't take the most obvious route. Like 
choosing, oh, I'm going to have the mechanic at the carnival be the villain is cool. And it, like, kind of gives him this extreme advantage. It's 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 fun. Like, yeah, we could have used some Mitch interiority, but I really enjoyed what we got. I thought that the descriptions of the rides were better than a third book of being, like, they walked to the other cabin, you know? <laughs> so so I, I was very grateful for that setting, and I, I found a lot of the a lot of the carnival accoutrement to be like, you know, uh, sort of uh, creepy and, and exhilarating. And for me, it reached the same fever pitch at the end with the wax figures coming to life as the second book, where it's sort of a fun thing now to be like, these books have crazy plots and then at the end they just go full batshit and i, I like that um also i a uh, kill that we just haven't brought up that i like is there's something akin to like one of those um one of those uh games where you're shooting the water into the clown's mouth where like mitch gets behind the clown face so that his eyes through the mask are coming through the clown face and the person is like looking at the clown being like are those real eyes and then they get shot cool good use of setting yeah. i i like it a lot yeah. so this is a this is a i i gotta say i don't remember much about jason's curse like to me i have the first book like imprinted on my brain i don't think the arcs were that strong in jason's curse and in this one this is this is middle for me john goodman what is the Exit Interview podcast, and why should a person listen to it? And what would they get from that experience? Um, uh, I was expecting another scenario there that was... Uh, it's good. <laughs> John Goodman, you, you host listen, an improv it. podcast about God and the devil. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a... Uh, yeah, they're a little improv sort of radio plays uh, where me and my co-host are God and the devil, and we have a new recently deceased human every week who we find out about their life uh it's a fun it's a fun ride just check it out exit interview well to our listeners please do rate us please do review us please do subscribe to us so that everything we release just is delivered directly into your push notifications uh as as i have been doing or have not been doing depending on the mm -hmm. uh release schedule <laughs> i've gone back to doing literature quotes as the ending of the episodes, please let me know if you can recognize what this one is from. Tweet at me. Uh, I don't have Twitter, so don't actually. <laughs> <clears throat> you can try. The front was solemn. The soldiers peered out from their trenches, fearful, waiting. Oh my god, Jason's mask just killed a guy with a blowtorch, a young <laughs> lieutenant bellowed. Soldier, why are you screaming? asked the general. It's imperative that we all stay quiet. I'm sorry, sir, but this Friday the 13th spinoff book is so gruesome and riveting, it's really reinvigorated the series. <laughs> Lieutenant, if you do not quiet down, there will be grave consequences. You know more than anyone that it must be all quiet here on the Western Front. <laughs> I'm sorry, sir. I will be. Minutes passed. And the Western Front remained all quiet. The general peered through his binoculars with caution, yet with hope. Suddenly, the lieutenant's laugh roared again. I'm so sorry, sir, sir, he stammered. It's just that Jason got dragged to hell in one film, and yet 
this book published in 1994 has his mask <laughs> killing just as much as he ever did. I truly can't handle the irony. <laughs> the general slowly drew his gun, a single tear rolling down his face. He pulled the trigger and sent the lieutenant's brain splattering across a $90 copy of The Carnival by Eric Morse. <laughs> That's 1910s dollars, too. That's rough. Yeah. <laughs> Gentlemen, he said to the other soldiers in his command, this man was a spy. How did I know? There was silence. How did I know? He yelled. Timidly, a young soldier spoke up. Because there were no Friday the 13th in 1994, sir. Those were the dead years. <laughs> yes, the general said, looking out at the Western Front, being quite quiet. The widely referred to dead years. <laughs> Good night. Okay, well, if you enjoyed having a Mad Lib as bonus content, and you enjoyed having full-on Andrew Overby fan fiction as bonus content, Hannah looks nervous. I'm not nervous. I just didn't know that this was happening, and I'm excited. How would you feel about a Friday the 13th Choose Your Own Adventure? (laughs) Good, yeah. Let let me start us off. Set the stage a little bit. You are attending the carnival at Camp Crystal Lake. You are on their version of the Tunnel of Love. The Tunnel of Love. Parentheses. Specifically between an adult man and a teenage girl. (laughs) Animatronic children sing the catchy tune, Age is just a number after all. (laughs) Suddenly, the ride stops and the lights turn off. When the emergency lights kick on, you see one of the children is wearing a hockey mask. You have two choices. Do you, and here are your choices, do you the E word, or do you the A word? We don't get to know what the words are. E for escape. In the spirit of this book and the slang that the girls use, (laughs) I don't think I should provide that information. Uh, well, you know, my name starts with an A, so I think I'm going to go with the A word. The A word, okay. If one of you could please read what I've just put in the chat, the option, the A word. (laughs) Oh, no. Well, Marco, you picked it, so you should read it. All right, okay. The A word. Attempt to adopt the child. You yell out to the masked child asking if it has a mother, hoping, if not, that you can be it. The question, do you have a mother? Seems to incense the animatronic boy. He produces a cardboard box and pulls from it an animatronic version of Pamela Voorhees' severed head. The head yells at you that you will be killed. Do you the E word, the R word? Once again, the options are the E word or the R word. Is this a different E word? Who's to say? I mean, you are. (laughs) I refuse to tell you is what I'm saying. I want to go with the E word. The E word, okay. 
we should have done it last time. That good answer. Good answer. <laughs> Hannah, you chose this, so please read the E word. The E word, escape. You run into the bowels of the ride. You hear the steps of the animatronic child behind you. In the darkness, you step into a pool of water. The murky lake of consent. (laughs) Cold, wet darkness encloses. Do you, the D word or the S word? Once again, for the listener, the options are the D word and the S word. I'm worried the D word is going to be drown. So (laughs) maybe we should say the S word. Okay, John, do you want to go ahead and read the S-word? Yeah, great. The S-word, swim downwards, sort of an (laughs) S-phrase. To escape the Jason boy, you panickedly swim downwards. The depths are unfathomable and exhaustion takes you. You struggle, gag, and D for drown. In your final moments, the boy recognizes himself in you, just an innocent drowning in a lake. Uh, you have reached the middlest ending. Though you did die, you got through to the boy in your final action. He gives up killing and instead honors you by writing a series of Camp Murky Lake of Consent books written during the dead years, as in the years you were dead. Yay. Oh, wow. Andrew, are you going to tell us what our other options would have been in this adventure? Yeah, so, oh, when you were in the lake, you could have chosen the, the D word. Um, mm-hmm. The D word was to drink all the water in the lake. <laughs> like Harry Potter? It says, you decide to drink all the water in the lake, thinking that will help, I guess. As you lie on the bottom of this empty pool, so full of water you're ill, you look across at the masked boy. Consent doesn't seem so murky now. Unfortunately, since you drank 500 gallons of indoor fountain water, you have Giardia. Fortunately... <laughs> The Giardia parasite has you so incapacitated that the Jason Voorhees robot boy mistakes you for dead and leaves you be. You have reached another middleist ending. You're safe, <laughs> but trapped in an indoor pool in a ride with more Giardia than any human has ever contracted. So that's is, a p- is the Giardia parasite some variation of the Jason worm? Jason Worm. Yes, that's my conspiracy theory. I'm going on InfoWars pretty soon to talk about how Giardia is a form of the That'll be the last episode. So, who who were we in this example? Were we the creepy adult or we were the teenager? You're just some ride-goer. It's it's, it's an original piece of fiction. (laughs) We're just nearby. Alright, I got got a couple more to run through because this is very intricate. So, uh, when... When you uh, approached the uh, animatronic boy, you adopted the child. Uh, you tried to adopt the child. Um, then we said, do you the E word, the R word? Uh, and you guys went with the E word because it had come up twice. So let me let me plop the R word. What was word R? Raise? Um, <laughs> Raise the child as your own. I should say that... He's troubled, but... <laughs> similar to my Choose Your Own Adventure, the actual book does a bad job of avoiding the ones that sound like slurs. Yeah. yeah. The book will yeah. just be like, you know... Words, like, you yes, know. The number exactly. one reason I didn't choose the R word is because it really sounded touchy. Yeah. Anyone, would you like to read the R word? This is when you're interacting <laughs> with the animatronic boy. Oh, the R word. Read the manufacturing info on the animatronic Pamela head. You creep forward and pull the head from the robot boy's grasp. Under her right ear are the words, Hasbro, the people who brought you Transformers. Do you the L word or the K word? Okay, uh, Hannah, can you take this one? 
Yeah. The L word, litigate against the carnival. (laughs) Hasbro did not license their products to be used by this carnival. The carnival is obliterated in court. (laughs) And you receive a life-changing finder's fee from Hasbro. The carnival, previously relegated to Crystal Lake due to accidents, is now relegated to only traveling to Manhattan, literal hell, and the space station from Jason X. Congratulations, you have reached the happiest possible ending. And then if if you had chosen the K word, here it is. John, can you take this for us? Yeah. uh, (laughs) The K word, kiss the head. Maybe this haunted robot head just needs some love. You smooch Pamela Voorhees' his cold steel mouth. A mechanical tongue caresses and entwines yours. At first, it feels weird. But this ride has softened your heart. Your hard stances on relationships with age gaps. The kiss infuriates the boy who grabs for you. Do you the S word or the E word? Oh, God. You doing the okay, S Hannah? Word. Yeah, I just am... Um... What a ride, you know? The, both people in this are adults. She's just, you know, a middle-aged woman, and this is like a younger man. She's also a robot. Right. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a head attached to nothing that's a robot <laughs> right. that kisses you with tongue. <laughs> I'm allowed to be weirded out. Yeah, that sounds like most relationships in about 20 years. <laughs> okay, so we know what the, the E word is, obviously. Uh, this is the is last escape again. Yeah, it, anytime you choose E, it brings you to escape. Um, oh. This is the last uh, one, Andrew. If you want to take this, <laughs> oh, of course. Thank you, childhood <laughs> oh, no! friend, for this. All right, so I I have chosen the S word. Suck that tongue. <laughs> no little boy is going to stop you from enjoying the love you found. You've dated single mothers before. This is par for the course. The little kids always come around to your winsome truck nuts and loud. I'm sorry, winsome truck nuts? Yeah, the, yeah those little know, novelty nuts. nuts you put on the back of your truck. <laughs> the nuts you hang off the back of your truck. Yeah, like the oh. little truck testicles. <laughs> I didn't realize I was a trucker. And loud opinions <laughs> about basketball. The hand of the robot boy shoots through your back with a hydraulic punch. Your insides spray across the rides, neon sign proclaiming half your age plus. <laughs> You die. You have reached the worst possible ending. I so mean, I think cool, cool death scene. Morse and I are going to go in on writing one of these. What do you think? Um, I can't wait to buy it. <laughs> I can't Anna wait for you to buy it and mail it to me so I can be on your podcast. <laughs> Maybe he'll let you uh, take over the Eric Morse name like the Dread Prior Roberts. That would be an honor, actually. <laughs> All right, let's kick this thing into gear. Okay, so, <clears throat> Hannah, you ready? Yarp. Wonderful. Yarp. 